Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for showing up in the songs that you have anointed and that we have been able to, in some measure, touch the hem of your garment by your presence. Thank you for the time of coming to the table and and connecting with you, engaging with you through your spirit. And that our communion with you would be sweet and it would be right because of your righteousness. So now we open up your scriptures that you have anointed and given to us as a gift. And we pray that our minds would be open, our hearts would be clear, and that you would speak to us through your word, Lord God. Let it be so that we leave this place and those who are watching online, that they would experience where they are, that still small voice or maybe that loud voice from your Holy Spirit today. I pray in your name and everybody said. Well, if you're looking for notes on the app, you won't find them. There also will be no PowerPoint today. There are a variety of reasons for that. I'm not going to go into all of them. Some of them will have to do with the fact that you, I'll have to cough every now and then. So I, I washed my hands with hand sanitizer and I drank a little of it. So <laughs> you should be okay. But I felt like, um, I just felt like the Lord said, I'll just tell you what to do when it's time. And, and, uh, I thought of the verse where Jesus is a different context, but I thought of the verse when Jesus said, when they bring you into the synagogues, uh, don't take any thought about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. So I pray for you that the Holy Spirit Will give me what to say. And as I meditated and, and approached this morning, of course, I told several people I have no idea what I'm going to do. Uh, I'll, you know, I would say this is not correct, so don't jump on me, but I would say flying by the seat of my pants, but my pants won't cut it. But flying by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can, I think I can manage that or at least get out of the way. But I felt like the Lord had returned me to a passage from last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday or if you were not, then last Sunday we talked about running an unencumbered race. And, um, you weren't evidently, but I was distracted by my voice last week. And, uh, because I had several people tell me I didn't notice anything. Well, I may say something about how I sound all the time. <laughs> but, um, by the way, Sean, thank you. Is he still here? Oh, well. Anyway, I'm glad he's saying that the, these extra verses too. Because, um, when God anointed those folks to write those songs, he didn't, he, he if he didn't want us to sing those verses, he wouldn't have had them write them. 
You know, growing up, part of my life in the Baptist church, I always said the, the loneliest thing in a Baptist church is the third verse of a hymn. <laughs> Never gets sung. And when you go look at some of those, the truth is so rich that we've been missing all these years. Of course, now, when we sang Just As I Am at the end of the service, we sang all 15 verses, <laughs> however many there were. But I, I felt like that to go back... And in a moment, I'm going to have you turn to 2 Timothy 2. But to go back and to sort of revisit a part of that message that I uh, just went over, and I purposely went over this part last week. I had no intention of digging into this passage. But I felt like the Lord would have us this morning go back and look at some verses uh, in 2 Timothy 2. Again, I have no notes so we're just uh, moving forward, but I do want to begin by reading chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 13. We will, we will spot check several verses, and, uh, but, but I just want to read these. They set the, the, actually they set the foundation for what we want to, what we want to cover, but they also sort of go back and overlap last week a little bit. So I'm going to stand, and if you, don't mind if you could stand while I read the scripture. I'm reading today from the New King James Version. It says, You therefore, my son, speaking to his spiritual son Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And by the way, that applies to both genders. You therefore must endure hardship as a there's only two, aren't they? Okay. You, you, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned until he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You can be seated. By the way, this is, well, there's no by the way about it today. Uh, 
Verse 2 is one we often use, and rightfully so, for uh, encouraging people to make disciples. It's our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to bring some folks with us as we make our journey in this life. Or as we're in the vernacular that we used last week and will again this week, we're running the race. And Paul identifies four generations in verse 2, himself, Paul, uh, faithful men, and others also. And, And... I think that even this applies to both genders, but here's what I, here what I, is what I would say. I used to could talk and, and I'll learn again. I don't think it's a good thing for men to be discipling women. And I don't think it's a good thing for women to be trying to disciple men. Um, that's why he writes to Titus to the guys to take care of the brothers. And then he says, Older women just basically disciple younger women. And you may not agree with that, and that's okay. I just think for practical reasons that we need to don't, to not blur those lines. And I, I think that's why he's addressing his son, his spiritual son, and he's saying, you've heard what I've told you in the presence of many witnesses. Now you need to teach this to, to faithful men who will also teach others also. In other words, this does not end. This process in, in extending. And one of the things that sometimes I have missed in this passage is that verse two or the theme of verse two continues through this whole chapter. And, but it's interesting. He said, be strong in the grace, be, make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And by the way, you will endure hardship. As a good soldier, you will, you will endure difficulties. We're not afraid around here to talk about the difficulties of life. We're not naive enough to think that because we're Christians that we will no longer experience challenges in life. But we're faithful enough to believe that God will get, get us through whatever it is. He said, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him. Well, that's obviously not such a veiled reference to our relationship with the Lord Jesus as our master, as our captain, uh, the captain of our faith. And, of course, again, in verse 5, he returns to athletics. We pointed out last week that Paul was evidently a sports enthusiast because he often references athletics in the in the games of that day. If anyone competes in athletics, he must compete according to the rules, must do it the way it's designed. Remember the Lord Jesus. And I, and I love the, the that he ends with uh, if we died with him and so forth. But the last verse, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And the reason is, is because his faithfulness has nothing to do with us, but has everything to do with him. He cannot deny himself. If God wanted to be unfaithful, he could not, because it's not in him. It's not in the fabric of his being. It's not in his makeup to say, well, I'm not going to be faithful to them anymore. No matter how faithless we are, God is always faithful. Emphasis on the word always. 
And then he says, remind them. Again, he's talking about this group of folks in verse 2, which translates, by the way, to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, and in some ways translates to us. Remind them of these things. And charge them to not strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. And in a verse that, uh, in my opinion, the, the, the King James Version does a little bit of a disservice here because it says study to uh, show yourself approved. And, of course, that's, if, you, if you think I believe in studying, you're right. But the word there is not really to study in the sense of book studying, but it's really a word that means to be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So everything goes back to the word of truth. And if we're going to be God's worker, you see, you don't have to be an ordained minister or clergy. But if you're going to be God's worker, then you need to have a desire to be diligent and to give yourself to the exercise of rightly dividing the word of truth. And how is that done? It's done by study. It's done by research. It's done by prayer. It's done by a a myriad of ways that we want to make sure that not only are we living the truth of the Scripture, but we're rightly dividing and communicating the truth of the Scripture. He says, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now, that seems absurd to us that someone would say, that, uh, well, the resurrection, you know, it's gone. It's never going to happen again. Uh, so I'm not preaching on the resurrection this morning. What I'm preaching on is we need to make sure that what we're saying and what other people are saying is rooted in the foundation of the scriptures. I was just listening last night. Uh, on the way back from the metropolis of Granville <laughs> to the public square where they dealt with the great evangelical disaster, the last book Francis Schaeffer wrote. And they pointed out that he just repeatedly said 40 years ago, mind you, that the church has to be careful that we, uh, we would abandon scripture, abandon the veracity of scripture and began to make up our own ideas and our own doctrines. Now, he didn't use those words. That's Northwest Florida words. But that's basically what he said. And and how that here we 40 years later, it's almost like this book could have been written yesterday. So we have to be careful that the Scripture is the foundation. Uh, he said, uh, the, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God Stands having this seal. No one really knows what Paul was writing about here as far as a, a physical structure. But he said, the Lord knows those who are his. 
Now, now that comes from Numbers, I, I believe, uh, this may, may even have it here. Yeah, number 16, that's a direct quote from number 16. The Lord knows those who are his. And I know that you sometimes think God doesn't know who you are. I think I was just listening this morning to Stephen Curtis Chapman on the radio, and he has a song called, see, it says, We Are Who You Say We Are. It's a great song. We need more great songs, by the way. Don. <laughs> and others. We, we are who he says we are. And sometimes life causes us to question who we are. Life causes us to question that God knows who we are. And we forget because, you know, if God loved me or if God knew I existed, this wouldn't be happening. That's not true. Just last week, he said, you, you've never suffered to the point of dying on a cross until we can suffer to a place of dying on a cross for all humanity. We can't complain. But God knows who you are. Whether you're having the greatest success you've ever enjoyed or whether you have cl are climbing the highest mountain you've ever seen, he still knows who you are. And that's just half of the foundation. The other part says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Well, see, here you got the meddling. <laughs> depart from iniquity. We talked last week about laying aside the weight that would hold us back, the impediment that would impede our progress. We talked about lay aside the sin that so easily entangles or ensnares us. And every person, that's different for every person. There's something that you might struggle with, and I'm not going to go back and re-preach the message. But he says here that the Lord, everyone who names the name of Christ should depart from iniquity. And that's not just so we can, you know, quit wagging our finger at them, but that's so that we are unencumbered. If we're going to name the name of Christ, iniquity is basically a word that we could define as lawlessness. And lawlessness is our, our intention, our emphatic intention to do what we want to do and not what God wants us to do. Lawlessness is our in our own selfish pride, thinking that we got it figured out better than God does. God doesn't really understand me, and it's been a long time since Jesus lived here, but lawlessness causes me to go outside the parameters of God's design. I don't even, I hate to use examples, but I'll use the example of adultery. Now, if there's anybody sitting in here in an adulterous relationship, I have no knowledge of that. And, and, and right this minute, I would appreciate it if you didn't jump up and repent. <laughs> but God said, you shall not commit adultery. And we say, yeah, but she's so pretty. Yeah, we say... And the point is, is when you get outside, I, I don't guess he would ever listen to this, but I knew a guy a long time ago. Uh, he was a, a salesman that came into a store that I would work at sometimes. 
And he, of course, he knew that I was a pastor, and we would get to talking, and he, he would just tell me. He said, i got to be honest with you. And he traveled a lot. And he's, i got to be honest with you. I cannot travel to another city without finding a woman. He's married. And I said, well, cannot's a strong word, but it is possible that you could do that. You see, I'm going to be careful here. Sometimes we Christians, we have that, we, we say, well, I know he said don't commit adultery, but, see, the but is where the lawlessness comes in. I'm not picking on adultery, by the way. I mean, if you want to be pick on your sin, tell me what it is and we'll bring it up. <laughs> but what happens is if someone enters into an adulterous relationship, then a marriage is damaged. Two marriages are damaged. Two families are hurt. And the ripple effect of that sin extends far away from where it began. You think, well, it's just, it's an innocent, innocent thing. And by the way, God forgives adultery. Okay? And God gets us beyond that. So again, I'm not picking on that. But my point is, what happens? We decide that we know better, or we decide, and in this cheap grace gospel, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I'm going to have a good time and get some of that forgiveness later. Let me tell you, do that long enough. Well, anyway, I'll get back to that. If you name the name of Christ, we should desire to depart from any lawlessness in our lives. But in a great house, verse 20, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but you know, gold and silver, that's the valuable stuff. That's the stuff that's precious. But also of wood and clay. Some for honor, which is the gold and the silver, and some for dishonor, which is the wood and the clay. Of course, you know, the gold and the silver will survive the heat. And the wood and the clay will not. Another place in the scripture Paul calls wood, hay, and stubble. Therefore, and I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it again. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor. In other words, if we find ourselves in a state of dishonor in our lives because we have compromised what God desires and what we desire, if we find ourselves in that state, failure is not final. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified or set apart, and here's a key word, or words, and useful for the master. Prepared for every good word. Useful for the master. I haven't met anybody that's a born-again Christian that does not want to be useful to their master. I've met people, including the guy in the mirror, who hasn't been all the time. 
But everyone has a desire in our hearts to be useful to God. You know, we don't want him walking past us because he needs to get something done. Useful. Therefore, everyone who cleanses himself, and I mentioned last week that the tense of the verb and all, I'm not going into all of that, is not that we have the ability to cleanse ourselves, but the way we cleanse ourselves is we present ourselves to God the Father, who then cleanses us. And when we do that, to whatever degree we have been a vessel of dishonor, or to the degree that we have been embracing ideas, concepts, beliefs that will only burn up in the heat. That's why we go through challenges. That's why he said, don't be surprised if you experience a fiery trial. Because God's going to allow the fire so that it'll burn up the wood and the hay. And all you got left is the gold and the silver. We don't like the fire. James was brazen enough to say, now you need to count it all joy when you go through trials. Well, yeah, you had Jesus as your brother. (laughs) And yet here's a guy who didn't even believe in his brother early on. Therefore, he who cleanses himself or herself becomes that vessel of honor now that is useful to the master. And again, I mentioned this last week, but he said, flee all you also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness. Well, let me go back to that. In case you weren't here, in case you weren't, you're not going to go back and listen to it in case you're not watching online. I'll say it again. You don't escape youthful lust by trying to be strong. You don't escape youthful lust by by being righteous and you, you escape, here's how, flee, run, R-U-N-N-O-F-T for all you, uh, Forrest Gump fans. You flee, you run. He's telling his spiritual son, don't fight it. Don't be strong. Run. As far and as fast as you can run. And by the way, that also includes opportunity, run from opportunity. But don't just run from something. Remember last week we talked about looking unto Jesus as means to look away from something and then to look to something. So we're looking away from the weight that so easily besets us. I just quoted King James, didn't I? And looking to Jesus, or some versions say fixing our eyes on Jesus. He said, don't just run from the lust, but pursue righteousness. Don't just run away from something, but run to something. Pursue righteousness, right standing with God. Pursue faith, pursue love, peace. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When you pursue those virtues, you pursue them through the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Righteous, or not righteous, but love, joy, peace, long-suffering. What is 
the uh, identification of the kingdom of God. What is the description of the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy. So again, as we said last week, uh, we're not here today. I'm not here today to wag my finger. I didn't even know I was going to be doing this. Wag my finger or start trying to preach hellfire and damnation. Damnation. I'm saying, let's live the abundant life that's available to us instead of dragging around a bunch of weight. And to do that, we run from whatever might hinder us, but we run to righteousness. We run to fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with God's people. We run to love and joy and peace and faith. We run in that direction. And I must say, it's going to be very hard to do that without using the Scripture. Very hard. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Now, don't everybody cancel your Facebook right now. (laughs) Knowing that they generate strife. Someone said this week that they had canceled. They had canceled their Facebook account because they couldn't handle the arguing anymore. They couldn't handle all of the. You know, in in great theological vernacular, all the yang yang. They just said, forget it, and they canceled their whole, got rid of it. I'm not suggesting that you should do that, but if you really heard Jesus. (laughs) But, you know, that's not just in social media. Man, I don't care where you are. I don't care what setting you're in, whether you're in person with someone or you know, hear people call on the radio. If you, if you bring up the Lord Jesus or the Bible or anything, you can just count on in five, four, three, two, one. Boom, here it comes. Because we would rather argue than rightly divide the word of truth by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say that. There is no rightly dividing the word of truth without the work of the Holy Spirit. If you try to rightly divide the word of truth without the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll become an egghead, spiritual egghead, that finds yourself drifting into error. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. You're a servant of the Lord, by the way. We're not talking about apostles and prophets. We're talking about you, which is me too. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. God's always interested in people. One time I, I said, Lord, why in the world did you put Leviticus in the Bible? <laughs> or more specifically, why in the world did you put all of those genealogies? Nobody r- likes to read a thousand begats. I mean, we don't even use that word in our language. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, here's why. 
because I'm all about people. And when you read the genealogies, you read people, begat people, begat people, begat people, because we want to get into doctrines and we want to get into religious exercises and we want to get into religious institutions. But at the end of the day, everything God does, everything God's always done is about people. And he started this chapter, and of course he didn't write it as a chapter. Somebody else helped him with that. But he, we started this chapter with him saying, yeah, what I've taught you, you need to teach to some other folks. And he ends it the same way. That you might be able to, in some versions there, and yours may say this, some versions in verse 25 say, in humility correcting those who are in opposition to themselves. And you could translate the original text that way. If perhaps, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. By the way, I don't believe that we repent when we're ready. (laughs) You see, we're going to be looking for a new pastor. (laughs) But I believe God has to grant you repentance. Because if you could just repent when you were ready, you'd be God. You wouldn't need God. But the whole, by the way, when you need repentance, you can count on the Holy Spirit bringing you to a place and giving you the ability to repent. Repentance has got a bad rap. Because when we hear someone say, well, so-and-so repented, we think, well, they must have been robbing banks and running around on their wife or their husband, or they must have been doing, you know, a long list of nasty stuff, and they may have been. But repentance is simply just going one direction and saying, Lord, help me to turn and go the other direction. Help me to flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That's repentance. It's change of direction. It does begin with our choice, but we can't even make that choice without God's help. Isn't it nice to have a God who's a God? We don't have a puny God that we, anyway. He says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive, taken captive. And so, my desire for us in 2024, you and anybody else that is listening, is that we would be useful to the master. And to do that, that we would give ourselves to uh, the things that bring honor. They give ourselves to the things that are eternal, the things that will last. And God will find out, well, he, he already knows, but he will help us find out what that is through the hardships and through the challenges. Now, again, I don't like difficulties. I don't like challenges. I don't like, I don't like any of that. But I also understand that when the pressure's on, remember through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. And the word tribulation is a word that means squeezing. And before John Anderson ever recorded the song, we knew that an old chunk of coal would become a diamond. And when God is squeezing you, 
what's left is pure. And what's exposed and burned up is the wood and the clay and that which is temporal. So that we would be, you would be, I would be workers for God's kingdom in the earth where we live, play, and work. Too many times when we hear something like that, we think, okay, i got to grab my Bible and go out and stand on the street corner. I'm not a big fan of that, by the way. Some guys I went to high school with, you were all, you know, obviously young Christians. And when I was in high school, we took a, in the first semester, we took Old Testament survey. It was a public school. Still is. Second semester, we took New Testament survey. So you might imagine you, you had a whole bunch of wannabe preachers in this class. And, and so one day one of them told me, he said, yeah, we, in our church, we got a hold of an old bus and, and, uh, we, we got in it one night and we, we went down the beach. Of course, we, we grew up in Panama City, near Panama City Beach. So we got, we put somebody on the step of the bus, left the door open, but we drove down the beach preaching the gospel. And I guess I was ahead of my time. I said, have you ever thought about that all they heard was repent? (laughs) Because they were driving. (laughs) You know, it's a noble idea, but what have you accomplished? And so we think that's the kind of stuff that we're supposed to be doing. Well, I'll, I'll finish my time here. Uh, you say you're already finished, fella. It's mentioned, been mentioned already that um, we had a great memorial service yesterday for Don Knox. And it, I, I appreciated the spirit of the occasion I appreciated the joy that was present. Certainly, we're sad, family's sad, that the physical vacancy of Don and, of course, of course, for Dixie. But we're so joyful for Donald Knox and for the the one-day reunion that we'll all have with him. But what a great example of what I'm talking about in that you couldn't go to Publix without finding Don and Dixie. <laughs> and they didn't need that much, that many groceries. But they'd be riding around that store in their little carts. Sometimes I thought they just went to race. But that was their mission field. And who knows, it may still be for Dixie if we can figure out a way to get her there. That was where they went to look for opportunities to pray for people and minister to people. It didn't have, it's not religious. They didn't ride around with the Bible thumping it. They just brought the Bible with them. 
And, you know, obviously Cheryl testified yesterday how that the public's employees were so moved by them and by, of course, the memorial. Were there any here, any employees here yesterday? Did they talk to you? Okay. We thought that some of them might have come. But anyway, here's my point. Don't look for a religious setting. Look for life. Look for where you go to work. Look for the next door neighbor. The Whatever may be the case, look for opportunity and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. <clears throat> and then you'll, as, as I started this off, you don't have to take any thought about what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Amen? Stand with me. Lord God, I pray that uh, your word has been proclaimed today in such a way that is pleasing in your sight. And I pray that as we have looked at these scriptures, that you have said more than I have said for, for certain. And I pray that every one of us would be impacted by the truth of what we saw with our eyes, heard with our hearts, and that it would enable us to be workers who are useful to you useful to our master, that we would be prepared for every good work. Lord Jesus, we pray that you continue to help us to lay aside all those things of the weights and the the sin that would keep us back, would hold us back, and that you would continue to empower us to reach the people that you so are interested in, that we would we would have a word in a season and in a time. And may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth just like it's being done in heaven. And I pray that you would use us and all of your people to be the vehicles by which that message is extended. Thank you for this time together today, and I pray in your name. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.